joining. Welcome to the meditation conversation. I am so pleased today to be joined by Mikhail Thiele, and he is joining me from California. He is, I'm, I'm sitting here on Zoom like everybody is these days with, because we're, we're recording this during the coronavirus um, shutdown, you know, the, the sanctions quarantine. And I'm seeing him in the beautiful sunshine in California, <laughs> and I'm I'm in Indiana, and we haven't seen the sun for a while here. But <laughs> but anyway, um, I read an a story about Mikhail, and I uh, was so drawn to his story. He's <laughs> he's um, just this beautiful beautiful soul with this amazing story where he was, um, I mean, I don't really know another way to say it, but called to working with bees. And so some of, some of our listeners, some of my listeners may know that I have taken up beekeeping in the last few months. So I am a, a budding beekeeper. And um, so the story really caught my attention when I saw it because it combined my favorite things, mysticism and nature and beekeeping. Um, but it's just incredible. And we'll, I'll let him tell his beautiful story. But um, he really was like just very called to it. And then he, through that, is working on this rewilding program, really, try, it seems like revolutionizing beekeeping um, through a con- conservation it's- effort. And, um, and so I am just, I just can't wait to, to learn so much from him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let yes, me right. not talk anymore and we can get down to it. But uh, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. And it's a pleasure, Kara. Oh, so nice to see you. you. And I'm glad we're doing it over Zoom. We can see each other. Yes. But just voice. Yeah, that's lovely. Yes. Thank goodness for Zoom. It's been such a lifesaver in these yeah. last few months. Um, so tell us your mystical story. How were you drawn in? Because you were really called into the world of beekeeping and and um you know, I, that resonates with me because I felt like I also was drawn into it, you know, and, but, but not in such an overt way. Like mine Mm. was just reading about it and then feeling like, Ooh, this is something I'd like to know more about and to see if I can help. And, um, but you literally like have heeded a very strong call. So, (laughs) (laughs) so let's talk about this, these dreams that you were having and how, how this all began. Well, first of all, Kara, I would like to thank you for inviting me to come on to your show, uh, onto your podcast. It's such an honor. Oh, and also, you. it is an honor uh, to share a little bit about these and uh, to share about um, the mysterious ways which are kind of um, quite endemic to all there is, really, mm. and in particular to uh, apiculture and to this really um, what I refer to as the APN being, um, an animal and a being which is, and maybe we can come back to that later a little bit more, but it is almost as if um, regular syntax and grammar and, and language is almost too linear, too limiting 
to uh, describe this phenomenon. Mm, that's um, beautiful. Yeah. However, um, what happened to me about 20 years ago, so um, I, at that time, I lived with my wife at San Francisco Zen Center, and we had just gone into the mountains for a um, three-month monastic retreat. And you have to picture, uh, it's, it's Tassajara, and it is at the end of a 13-mile long dirt road, very remote, mm. in the mountains, in the wilderness. Um, there's no power, there's no cell phone reception. Um, there are a few solar panels, but um, light really, that was during um, the first three months of the year. And most of the light was um, generated with kerosene lamps. So imagine a cloister down in the valley, surrounded by wilderness, lit up at night with kerosene lamps and the pathways and in the meditation hall. Oh my God. It was very, very simple. Yeah. And uh, the, our meditation practice was quite, the schedule was quite rigorous from mm. starting at five in the morning, um, being in the Zendo, so getting up before, mm. and um, then sitting throughout the entire day all the way to 9 p.m., having meals in the meditation hall, um, being most of the time in silence. So you can you get an idea of mm -hmm. the environment. And that was that during that time, I started dreaming about bees. Mm. Those dreams came and bees in those dreams just came and seemed to call me. And I felt I had such a strong sense of being drawn in by the bees. Mm. Um, and I didn't know much. I just, you know, had this common fascination with honeybees. Everybody is fascinated by honeybees and touched in some really almost mysterious ways, uh, beautiful ways. And after those reoccurring dreams, um, it just, I ended up holding this question what would come next? But definitely something within was new that. Um, I had to answer that call in one way or another, and I had really no knowledge about um, how to live with bees. And that was the beginning, really, of my life with bees in that new way. Um, and these and were then, multiple dreams, right? Yes. And you were even perceiving the, the humming, like the buzzing, which you didn't have experience with yet in this life, anyway, <laughs> possibly. Um, but you could, it was like this familiar, this is what I sensed from the article anyway, but there was like this familiar, um, oh, this familiarity yes. with the, the humming of the hive. Yes, it was, I think, um, one way of, to describe it would be by saying it had such a strong sense of home, mm. this encounter in the dream world was another gateway which pointed towards home mm -hmm. and home here with home i mean coming truly home coming truly home to that which is so far beyond home coming 
home as the person, um, as the face which was present before birth, mm. coming home to beyond language, mm. coming home in with emptiness and fullness, mm. coming home into the to the relative and the absolute, coming home which is not limited by my individual sense of I, but it is a home which goes so far beyond I, the notion of I. And it is also a home of intimate relating to all there is. Um, that's what it was. It was not a dream about beekeeping. Right. Thank you for for um, um, uh, reminding me of the home part of it. It was not about beekeeping. It was not about keeping bees. It was this was it was like dreaming about an angel. It was, or one could almost say, it was encountering an angel-like being in one's dream, one ally. Um, and that in conjunction with those intense, that intense retreat time, which of course um, is sensitizing oneself uh, on all levels. And um, that seemed just another part of this retreat of this in some ways probably one could say we are all on this journey together right we are being born another round begins and um, we are looking for resources we are looking for um, the heart of all there is these seem to be i often perceive bees in terms of mirror mm. that we all are familiar with the glass mirrors we see our reflections in and those glass mirrors they mirror often just projections and wishes mm. and our limitations but it's hard for that kind of glass mirror to mirror the sacredness of life. Mm. And it seems that bees are that kind of sacred mirror. There is nothing to hold on to. They are placing us into this position, into this, into a completely new context where all of a sudden we find ourselves without nothing to hold on to. And that comes with an opportunity to really um, view the sacred heart of life. Uh, and I think that is the gift, one of the gifts, what we call honeybees can bring or, and are bringing into our lives. Mm, that is incredibly beautiful. I, I mean, I love the the metaphor of them as a mirror. And, and I think, you know, we can use nature 
in 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 this way in in such a it can be so profound in so many ways and um and I'd like to get into and and I'm not sure if this is the right time um but this makes me think of you know a lot of people are afraid of bees in particular so we can apply I think your analogy there to many things throughout nature you know you one may be more connected to um you know domestic animals for instance and see that connection and that mirror um in that way um and bees are unique at least in my world I I suppose my reference point in their like organization and how they sort of move, you know, there's, they've got their separateness, you know, there are these individual little bees, but they really move as, as one and as one organism, um, and one entity. And so, and, and, and you have much more experience than I do. I mean, tons more, but, um, it's, I think it's clear to a lot of people that, that they they do have this, you know, there's this hive mentality. This is something that we even talk about in common, you know, that we apply to people, this hive mentality where all the separate pieces of this are all, are all moving together toward one thing. But with honeybees, you also can have this fear for people who aren't educated um, because they they sting and, um, you know, there are people don't maybe understand the difference between like a honeybee and an Africanized bee. And now we have this new hornet that, um, you know, this murder hornet or something that has, you know, found its way to North America. And so um, for some, you know, they're they're missing the you know, they don't haven't had the opportunity yet maybe to see the beauty of the bee and um so I'm just wondering, like, if this is something that that you appreciated maybe from the beginning, like pre-dream, or was the the dream and your your journey? Um, well, we didn't get to finish really from the dream because then the bees came to find you, but this beauty before you had your interactions with the dream, um, was this something that you already had an appreciation for or were you kind of coming from, coming to it from more of a, a common, <laughs> I guess. I see. No, I understand. Yeah. I understand Cara. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one relative, when I was still living in Germany, a relative of mine, had bees and um, yeah and so I had exposure there but also I grew up on a farm Mm -hmm. and um, so bees were kind of even though we did not have bees on our farm and yet uh, there was talk about bees I grew up in in such a natural setting that um, I knew they they belonged Mm. to to the 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 landscape Mm -hmm. or, or country yeah. Um, so yeah, but you bring you bring up so many different things like the venom and nature and how how they're all 
how they are all organized and um so there are lots of, there are lots of things in there <laughs> we could go with but maybe like you suggested i'll just um um share a little bit the story what what happened after the dreams mm. and that was that after that retreat we went back uh to um, a different location because that is mostly for monastic training Pasahara mm-hmm. is so we went back to the other location within Zen, San Francisco Zen Center and um, I borrowed some bee boxes I, so I looked around and I found a so-called beekeeper by the way I don't like the name I, I, we are we are we are more kept than we keep so <laughs> the English word I think is unfortunate um so I, yeah. So, but anyway, so I found someone who lives with bees, uh-huh. right? Um, and um, he just gave me some used equipment, which I placed behind our little tiny cabin we lived in. It was like a 400 square foot cabin. And then it was spring and all of us, I was in the garden on the farm and someone called my name and said, oh, they're bees. So I ran up to the house and you have to imagine a tiny little cabin and it was like bees were just covering the whole cabin and oh circumambulating the cabin. And they were, they had found that little box, but the opening was almost too small for them to, to move in. Oh, wow. And so I just ran to the box and there I was as if it, the, the dream was now within this dream we call reality. Yeah. And I didn't know, I was like, what am I doing? And when I think back, there was no panic. There was more like, oh, what needs to happen next? And as if they were whispering in my heart, like, you know, you'll be fine. Just help us out a little bit here. Mm. And then all, all I did was I pushed the, moved the lid just a tiny bit to the side and enabled the bees, the swarm, to enter that box. And it had this, I will never forget this moment, Cara. It felt like um, the genie going into the bottle. That's how it felt. It was so overwhelming and so overwhelmingly beautiful and so touching. And And my dreams were just reverberating in that moment. It was this seamless continuation from one dream world into the next dream world almost. Um, yeah, and that was then the beginning of my relationship with the apian being in this reality of of dreams. Um, And you know what was also beautiful in that was it was still on temple grounds where we lived. The farm was also temple ground, another community. And it felt so... It was so congruent. It was such a natural resonance between, when you think about it, monastic codes and what are the ultimate values within monasticism. And among them, among many, they are altruism and service and um, and love, compassion. Mm-hmm. And all those three and many more can be found within the apian being. That's how I call honeybees, the apian being. Mm. Mm. And also, if you go throughout history, 
you will always find honeybees living on monastic grounds because um, back in the days, even more so, our ancestors just sensed the truth and sensed also the wisdom, the wisdom aspect, and also knew that here was a living being which not only followed the same values, but actually embodies the values and practices those values of utmost selflessness, deep humility, and um, living with a vow to serve all beings. Mm. You know, that, so is that was yeah. amazing. So if we if we pick that apart a little bit for somebody who may not know a lot about the the responsibilities of the different bees um maybe you want to talk a little just a little bit about like the different roles within a hive because they are all serving this the entity they're they're all like you talk about that's so beautiful right and yeah um you you started opening it open up the topic already just a moment ago by by describing the polarity of so-called individual bees on one side mm. and the oneness on the other mm. and um and that is that is already sets sets up the, how do you say, it sets up the stage mm. for the exploration of who, who this animal, who this being really is. And it turns out that it's a little bit like, you know, in physics, how physics is trying to define what light is. Mm. And it's either a particle or a wave. Yeah. So there's this dichotomy, the polarity within there. And it's just like with this animal as well, mm. that what's happening in this, in this, in the phenomenon of honeybees is that we can witness emerging of polar opposite worlds and realities. So we have the reality of the individual on one side, and then we have something else on the other side, which is a which is the almost invisible to our uh, to our regular senses. Our eyes can almost not perceive that oneness, and yet that invisible oneness is the the true being is expressing the true home and nature of this being. So, and that then brings up so many questions about about who those individual individuals are. Are they actually truly an individual? There's this merging of polar opposites and in this alchemical process of merging, something else arises. And all constituents are really not what, what they appear as, as they appear to be. There is a deep, deep transformation. And I want to give you a, a few more examples for that. 
So we may think in terms of insects, right? Bees really look like insects, a cold-blooded insect. And yet, when we look deeper, we'll find that the oneness, the, the, the singularity of its being is a mammalian being. It is warm-blooded. Oh, wow. And there are some people that call honeybees the mammal in a thousand bodies. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I've in, never heard of this. Mm-hmm. But because it, they work together to keep themselves warm and they... Yeah. So um, honeybees share the mammalian body temperature range. Really? So they live within, you call it like, you know, from the low 90s to 104, 105 Fahrenheit. That is their normal body temperature. Oh, wow. But that's the, but that's the body temperature of the invisible, invisible being. I actually like to refer to what I hear called invisible being to the face, the face of this animal mm. as a mammalian-like angel. Wow. <laughs> In other words, we are, when we, we live maybe with a cat or a bird or a dog, horses, you name it, and uh, we live with other human beings, and the face... The face is literally this interface, the way we relate, the way we perceive. When I look into your face, Kara, I get a sense of who you who you are. Mm. And um, you know, we reveal through our face so many aspects of who we are, you know, the the parts of our happiness, of our concern, of sadness, grief, whatever it is, everything becomes visible through the face. Mm. In the context of honeybees, there is a face, but this face is not um, uh, perceivable with our regular senses. Mm. And this is another example of, um, this is another aspect mirror-like almost where we spoke about that earlier we step in front of this mirror and view oneself in such a different light because it goes beyond the eye but here now it it resonates so deeply and it kind of evokes in us uh, those parts which are more invisible to ourselves. So they are, we always need help, right? As human beings, we need really help to wake up and to um, awake to the the deeper nature of our lives and um, the world and nature. It's such a mystery, it really is. But so often we even forget that, that it's Mm -hmm. a mystery. And so by stepping into the landscape of honeybees, we have this, it's like stepping into a cathedral, into a place of prayer, into a place of, of sacred reflection. And here, the honeybees give us an opportunity um, to awake to other parts of our being. Mm-hmm. Others 
ways of communication, of sensing. And if we do so, then all of a sudden, we will be able to recognize this face, this apian face, which we cannot perceive with our eyes and cannot hear with our regular ears. It is kind of stepping into spirit. It is. So you see, it's not in the outside that we perceive honeybees as the mysterious something, but in, in entering this field, in entering this relationship and in surrendering, mm. in surrendering to the field, to the apian field, something happens for them. And that is a tremendous opportunity for human beings in particular in the time we live in, in this time where we are standing on the, at the edge of the edge of the abyss. And that that what guided us all the way to today does not work anymore. We are in such utter need for new vantages and new ways to walk on the face of the earth. And honeybees are like the gate, the gate to step into this other dream, this other dream within, this other reality. Um, it's so profound. And, and I have two ways that I internalize what you've said. So I'd, I'd love, and I, I bet it's yeah. a, a, an and a, or a, a yes and instead of an or. But one way that I perceive that is as you interact with the hive or with an entity, with the entity, yeah. like you say, it's this reflection, um, but there's maybe this, um, like, do you perceive that when you're interacting and depending on the state of mind or the attitude that you're approaching a hive or that if you're with other people, um, there's a dynamic, I don't know, that, that the way that the hive responds is a reflection of your own inner state. And um, the other piece to that is the way that like the alchemy between you, you and the hive and how you, so perhaps like if you're with one hive, it, there's a, a certain feeling that, that you experience when you interact with that one hive that's very like individual to that relationship, that alchemy between you two as two entities. And then if you were to go off and be with another hive, there's a different alchemy, just like if you were, you know, if you were talking to me, communicating with me, and then in an hour you go and have another conversation with somebody else. And there would just be a different feeling that as people, we understand that, you know, whether you've ever been with bees or not, but is it a little bit of both of those? Like that you, no matter which hive it is, you are, um, you maybe are able to see a reflection of who, of your own state of mind, but also that interaction between, does that make sense? 
It does. And you are um, stepping into such high complexity mm. uh, by, by what you're bringing up, which has to do with relationship. Mm. Relationship within ourselves, with ourselves, and then relationship with others. Whether this is right now the two of us, Kara, you and I, or whether it is in, in the moments we, we are um, with honeybees. And um, so many things to say about, but just a, to name a few, hmm, um, I would say the, the power, the, the, the strength of this heart energy coming from bees is so not only convincing, but it's so subtle in it reaching our hearts that no matter who you are, it will change you in that moment. Mm. You know, you don't have to be a sensitive person. You don't have to be an animal lover. I have seen, just for the sake of description, I have seen rough guys coming back from the bees and you can tell that their hearts got touched mm. yeah um and and it is it the the relationship between humans and and apians was in the past our ancestors ritualized it because it was so sacred you know like you will find in many cultures uh, before you would go, you had to abstain from um, alcohol, no sexual activity, maybe even fasting, who knows. But this indicates the way we, our ancestors were able to perceive this being. So this was not just going to the mall and pick up, you know, some milk and, and, and some dinner. Mm, yeah. But this was very special. And therefore, if we go to church or if we prepare to, to meditate, it's the same thing. We, we, it is kind of ritualized the way I, I am in church or the way I am in the meditation hall. You see? So how can... And, what, and, and then from there, it comes, of course, to... How, how am I doing right now, now before I enter this relationship? And to make sure there are a lot of people who say, leave the world behind you. You know, if you are agitated or you're worried about things, let it go for now, for the time being, for the time you are with these. Mm. And that happens. I, I'm sorry to interrupt your flow, but I, I'm just reflecting on that, too. I think that they are amazing for bringing you to the present moment. And that could just yeah. be my beginner's mind, because as we know from meditation as well, there is a blessing right. to having the beginner's mind because you pay Absolutely. such careful attention. But I find when I'm with my bees, you know, I am there and, the, and time stops and it is all about the activity and, you know, the, the blessing of that that time absolutely but. because they're masters right mm. and we have also you mentioned it earlier there is the venom oh right yeah there is the stinger and it is um and it's putting us 
into a position where um, of being really alert. Mm-hmm. You know, that alone, it is not, the singer is really has, I would say, the, its purpose is to create, uh, to awaken everybody, to awake wow. everybody. That is the purpose. Um, it is because, the, as I said earlier, the APN will never take life. Mm. Um, it is every, every motion, every gesture is service. Mm. Even in but their he's, giving he's, he's, the, they, I mean, like the workers give their lives for the hive as far true. as, I mean, if they sting, if they release their venom, they die. So it is self-sacrifice even in defense of the entity at the Correct. highest level. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. They, um, they are unable to retract the stinger out of the mammalian skin. Mm. And so then eventually their abdomen ruptures and they have an injury they cannot recover from and they will die. Mm. Um, and But that's a whole other story. What is yeah. this really? Because yeah. one could look at it in terms of... Um, Let's uh, paraphrase it. Paraphrases, phrases, phrases as um, the APN is sensing where this medicine, which venom is, it's used in in cancer therapy and other mm. things, where you as Kara would benefit from that venom in your body, whether it's a meridian, whether it's tissue, whether it's an emotional trauma, whether you name it. But the the high degree of sensitivity is just mind-boggling, and it's it, and therefore I always suggest take notice if you get stung where that is, and maybe one year it's one specific area on your body, another year it's another area. It may shift, or is it related to other circumstances? Mm. And just just one more thing on venom, and that is. Um, well, first of all, there is, you have an opportunity. You, no, let's put it the, the other way. One has the choice. Uh, the choice between wearing a veil or not wearing a veil. Oh, I'm so glad you're bringing this up. I wanted to ask you about this and I didn't know if it would flow. Yay! Because keep going. yeah, and we can talk more <laughs> about it. But the reason I'm bringing it up is, um, I'm not judging either way. Mm. But what I'm trying to um, share with you is that when you decide to for protection and veil, that allows you to do kind of anything you would like to do. When you decide not to wear a veil and other protection, then it becomes a dance. It becomes a mutual dance. And what it, this requires is when you, when you dance with a partner, you have to feel into motion. What is the next move coming? Because in a dance, we move together. We, we need to be able to follow. And that's the first thing then we have to learn to follow. And that then um, dovetails into what you said earlier about they, you feel so alert when you're with bees. Now it's even more so. 
this you ha- you lost mm. your back door yeah now you have to surrender to this moment and all your senses are opening up you will discover things you have never seen and experienced before mm. it is you have to be very gentle very slow and the most important thing is to follow mm. and it is two completely different universes of apiculture. Yeah. And then the dance by the venom comes into that, right? Mm. To be stung under, anyway, that's a whole other tongue. But you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I want to I wanna say one more thing to your to one, two questions back, which I find interesting when we talked about relationship, mm. just to add one one other piece to that Mm. what came up for me and more and more these days is a sense of grace Mm. that um, that by grace we are we are being shown we are being shown things that it is a it is another word would be a gift there's a gift coming to us and it's coming out of grace really Mm. it's not about ownership it's not about gaining experience it is more about participating in this sacred life and certain gestures from honeybees are being revealed to us out of grace. And that is how I see it currently. Uh, When I look at what I'm being able to witness and observe that in some, in some ways, you know, we can, we can think on one side that I plan my life and go through that plan throughout my life. Versus, like there's this monk brother David Steinelrust. I don't know whether you heard about him. He no. talks all about gratefulness, and the way he puts it is, he says, life is one surprise after the other. It's a string of surprises as life unfolds itself. We are just a participant of mm. all this sacred unfolding and all those surprises. And not that doesn't mean that all the surprises are pleasurable, but there's also it can be challenging. He doesn't say anything about the nature of the surprise, but to perceive it as such. Mm. And I think the veil, whether or not you wear a veil or not, will is if you decide not to, it can be really a beautiful practice of stepping into the world of surprises mm. and into the world of this sacred dance. What so this this may be a little too pedantic for the flow here, but it makes me wonder about smoking uh, the hive as well, using a smoker. I mean to say, um, because that is a traditional <laughs> method. Yeah, not smoking <laughs> cigarettes around a hive, but um, but you know, as I'm learning in the traditional method 
that is something that's done to calm the bees. But of course, that is having, I imagine, like a, neuro, a temporary neurological effect on them. So I don't know if that, right. if you have an opinion about, like, do you use a smoker? I don't. Okay. Well, the smoker, oh boy. And if it's uh, not, it, if it's it too takes, much it takes, in a different direction, we don't have to go that way. But no, but it's a good point because the, what this again, it does not. So here's the thing, Kara, to smoke bees makes them appear docile, mm. not wanting to sting us. What happens in truth is it's a fundamental disruptor of all kind of life functions of the bees, physiologically, emotionally, think about it. They're, it's such a traumatizing event that there are other things to take care of besides the beekeeper coming and opening up my womb. Yeah. So it, the smoker... is a tool, another tool, which carries the danger of blinding us. It's like another veil. I mean, it as we're talking veil. about it, it's like we've got the, the veil that, that we use, you know, to protect the, the face, but it's, it is, it's like we're, if you think of it as a mirror, like you were talking about, it's like you're putting the veil. They just keep adding yes. veils to really stand between you and a true reflection of the partner. Yeah, that's amazing. You see, I have a lot to think the, about. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know, and because um, the the one has, uh, we are all in the same boat, Cara. Right? Mm. We are all are so conditioned by this mechanical way of viewing life. Mm. And that we are still, we have all inherited this. And beekeeping as we know it in the white square boxes has been invented at the peak of the industrial revolution, where before the way we our ancestors lived with bees was so different. Just mm -hmm. compare the ritualized preparation for going to the bees with how it is now. It's mechanics. It's almost, I mean, even it is really mechanics. We, we, there's a word for it, which I think really describes it well, or it points well, and it's called soul blindness. Mm. That, so all we see in, in conventional beekeeping are the hardware, the boxes, the frames, the smoker, the veil, the gloves, and the hive tool. That's what we, that's the world of beekeeping. But we lost the most important thing thing in, in parentheses we, have, we 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 are blind to the soul we are blind to the enchantment and that is a watershed moment you know the moment you taste the soul world the dimension of the soul it will lead you on a completely different path and one where you will begin uh, by listening, you will start listening, and you have to um, grow all your senses because it needs every. It needs us in our entirety. It needs our awareness for our own soul 
on this path to follow this being. And then, and then it becomes so beautiful, Kara, because then we will start looking at this, at our relationship as the one who tries to mirror the conditions this apian, this honeybee angel needs to thrive. And then pretty quickly you'll find out it is not a box. And not only on yeah. for coming it from that level, but all cutting edge normal science research has the data out. And the data says it is they're all shortcomings, conventional beekeeping practices are um, representing or are having such a fundamental negative impact on health and well-being. You're kidding. Oh, yeah. Oh. And so it is this huge self-critique mm-hmm. of something which was a dominant belief system. And now it comes out as, whoops, we missed the soul. I'm saying that, of course. Yeah, yeah. But they are saying, oh, you know, life sciences have been developing. And what happens to life sciences now, as we speak, happened to physics in the 1920s. You know, one plus one equals two was, was, uh, was like, it was valid. And then, well, relativity and quantum physics, since then, it's not true anymore. One plus one is sometimes two, <laughs> you know, and that happens right now in life sciences and within the agricultural field. One plus one is not two only. Mm. It, it has become larger. Mm. And that's where we are. It's a very exciting time, but also a time of breakdown. And where, where can we nourish the phoenix? Because... Mm. We have fires going and we want to we want to pay attention to the phoenix that is the next birth of life on earth oh wow well so let's talk about that because you're talking so so you don't use the traditional hive boxes that um that you know, have because, well, I think a lot of people who are listening to this probably haven't had a lot of exposure to the the boxes even, but um, you know, they use even plastic um, frames for the bees to be able to build upon. So they build their the comb and that's where they they lay their eggs and nurture the larvae and um, and bring in the pollen and, you know, store the honey and and so on. Um, so you have these hollowed out logs and they're strapped up into trees. So you're, it, it, it was described as like a rewilding project. Right. So, and this is what I was talking about in the beginning where you're kind of revolutionizing the way that um, beekeeping is thought of where it's really take, giving it back to the earth and trying right. to create these um, and habitats that reflect right. what's happening in nature. So please enlighten me. <laughs> <clears throat> um, we need a whole day on <laughs> so um, let me let me um, respond to the first part where you bring up frames for example mm-hmm. right so and um, 
what we all are now accustomed to is that that no let me start let me start another way okay it's good to remember that honeybees co-evolved with trees mm. for the past 45 million years so one could say that honeybees are a forest dweller mm. however they lived in the womb of another being Oh, that is their, what I like to call, indigenous nest habitat. They are a companion being. Mm. And companion probably not only includes the tree, but all of the web of life, really. Mm. And one can imagine, one can picture uh, the womb within a tree has a certain kind of volume and you know i want to mix data and other things so it's about 10 gallons only that's one deep hive box that's that's the, the and that's the it's hard to even put words to it that's where honeybees live in and then they grow their own body tissue which is comb in those beautiful ways when you see completely indigenous or wild mm -hmm. comb it's undulating it's folding within other um sheaves of of comb it is the degree of fluidity how comb is with each other and different sections and then little openings here it's almost like water music and oh, uh, i have never thought of that as tissue of the of the oh, being. Yeah. oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And um, in a previous episode, it might be the one that was will be released right before yours is released, but it was a recent episode with Michael Hetherington talked about that the connective tissue is oh. like a, a new kind of a new frontier of systems yes. within the oh. human body. Yes, it's true. It's considered the, an, an extra organ yeah. on its own, right? Yeah. So now you're connecting this to the mm -hmm. the entity of the honeybee. It's that's profound. I actually consider everything tissue, not only the comb, but also metabolites, all the individual bees, propolis, everything. Oh, wow. The symbionts. I haven't even talked about symbionts. Symbionts and the wax moth. They all belong. They're all constituents of this being as tissue, but wow. not only. But anyway, um, so Amazing. just to, you know, in a nutshell, now this, now you get a sense of who, who this being really is, mm. how, it, it, how it looks in its indigenous state. And now compare it to um, of, with frames. And now all of a sudden, this environment which was had where comb was not movable, it was always happening in utter darkness, is now transferred into a box uh, with completely straight frames and um, and plastic. And here's the thing, it's called that what replaces comb, right? For your listeners who don't know, those M hexagonal those embossed sheets 
they have in, with, uh, embossed with hexagons and what you can buy to roll and beeswax candles. Mm. Those sheets are called foundation. Mm -hmm. It's a completely euphemism because we should call it implant. This is an implant, an, an implant of such immense size. Um, and then think, think in terms of substance. It's made out of um, polystyrene, non-expanded polystyrene, and it contains benzene and styrene. They are poisons. When you take a sheet of plastic implants and you break it and you put your nose right at the break line, you can actually smell the chemicals. Oh, man. However, but that's, that's only one part of it. However, the, the, the usage of implant has destroyed so many functions, so many gestures. It's not even researched yet. And I promise you it's around the corner that mm. people will write a paper about the detrimental use of implants. And just think in terms of implant syndrome in humans. It can be just one filling in your tooth, tiny which can create can trigger systemic reactions mm. but now we are we are implanting those sheets in in a hive and just think in terms of surface area it's the entire surface area of all the tissue and what that does now uh, what we are trying to do at apis arborea is to rewild honeybees and that what that means is we want to um, bio. We want to work with biomimicry. We want to study those indigenous nest parameters, and then see how can we integrate them into design of nest. Um, how can we provide, in also in an ethical way, for this being. And. Um, and that then, it's interesting that we can combine it with, with contemporary research data. So much data is pointing to this, um, that the practices of conventional beekeeping is mm, not respecting, not integrating very basic principles. And uh, I don't want to get too much into beekeeping, but I want to just mention a few, right? That is the volume of the nest. If it's large, which is normal in beekeeping, it's detrimental for bee health. If hives are set up next to each other, it's detrimental because it favors really um, higher mortality rates. Sugar, what is called sugar feeding is detrimental for health. Requeening and splitting is detrimental. Um, thin walled boxes um, create um, create issues with what is called a dew point. Because they're so thin walled, you will end up with condensation water in the hive. And then to mitigate that, often people put in so-called ventilation holes to create an airflow, to create an airflow within an environment which 
does not thrive on airflows. The inner body environment of an indigenous tree nest depends on a stable inner climate. And in tree nests, the dew point, there's no condensation happening at all. Uh, or maybe, and maybe one more thing to illustrate what the differences are. And that has to do with what is called clustering. For those of you who don't know what clustering is, clustering is describing moments when bees are kind of cuddling and huddling and they don't move much anymore because it's too cold. They need, because like we discovered earlier, they're a mammalian being, they're warm-blooded, they need to conserve energy, but also maintain a minimum temperature. It's the equivalent of us getting goosebumps. We are cold, our skin contracts. So um, clustering, or what is called the onset of clustering in thin-walled hives can start already at 59 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm. And, and in tree hives, it starts at minus 4 Fahrenheit. Oh, my goodness. So, and what, what is clustering? Clustering is the beginning of hypothermia. Mm. Here is now an animal which has to respond to this big stressor and, and clustering eventually disrupts all normal activity, all physiological processes. It Imagine you're pregnant and you're underdressed. Just imagine how that would feel and how that eventually or possibly could really endanger the, the child you're carrying under your heart. Just that. Imagine, that's how I imagine now clustering as being a pregnant woman, woman and being underdressed in icy conditions outside. So it induces on so many levels of stress in your body mm. and you may die because mm. the whole reason for this response of clustering is to protect and to survive. Mm. And, and to sum it up, if we trigger this early and, and regular uh, clustering, one could say almost on a daily basis, then what does that, what are the effects on health, but also emotional well-being? You know, it's a, you, so that is something which really struck me when I, when I found that information, when I saw it. And now, we want to, on a very basic level, we want to take care of this sacred being by at least to keep it warm so it doesn't have to yeah. fight for survival at all times. Right. And imagine, imagine in, in true four-season climates, winter. Yeah. Winter, it's freezing for weeks. Yeah, that's how it is here. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so, and now we're coming back to log hives. Mm -hmm. Log hives mimic trees. So the, they're really thick. There's the small volume, the walls are six inches thick or thicker. And they're and made from an, a tree? Yes. It's from a proper, yeah. Yeah, it's a, a you hollowed. know, I, yes, it's a hollow tree trunk. Mm. It's a big tree trunk, maybe 20 inches in diameter and 
and 40, 40 inches long and it's being hollowed out and prepared for bees. And key, the key thing is insulation. It's so important for dew points, but then also for clustering. And that's what we do with our cats and dogs. We mm. provide them with that cozy warmth and just with that what they need. And we, that brings us back to the face, Cara, right? When the, when the dog is cold and hungry, we just look into her or his face and we just know. With the apian, we have to kind of practice to get a sense of the face and then we sense what she needs. Mm. So, so, yes, beautiful. it's a revolution, Cara. Yeah. It is a revolutionary, I like to call it, it's a, it's a pioneering edge-walking niche of conservation. Yeah. That's what this is. So for people who want to know more, your website is full of beautiful information. You've got an amazing video on there of, um, you know, seeing the activity inside the hive and you get to actually see the queen laying eggs. And um, But you, you also have a lot of seminars and um and web uh, interactive events that I saw on right. there. So what would be a great starting point for somebody who is, is feels the call? Um, yeah, well, you, I think you named it all. Um, the website apisarborea.com is a good place for information. And sometimes it's just about seeing seeing another approach, right? You look at something and you feel resonance. Right. And that's, that's so important with bees. And I see it with children uh, too. Children see log hives and they think that's the most normal thing to do. You know, it's like, of course, yeah. that is where bees should live. Mm -hmm. Children know. And to be honest, even adults more and more, I've been doing this now for since 2007, when in the beginning people needed an explanation, but in the past few years people just said, "Oh yes, of course. Yeah, I'm so glad. I'm so glad they can be like can live like this." Yeah. So, just for the visual, and then you can see lots of, uh, like you said, live stream events. Um, yeah, there. It is. It is an, a pioneering uh, way of of redefining apiculture. Mm, I would say, which is really uh, right now a grassroots movement, and you can find it throughout the world. Mm. Um, and I always say, people, if you need more information or want a link or need to know good books, just email me through the website and I can help you out with that. So, oh, wonderful. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't thank you enough for your time. This has been just incredible. And, um, I mean, it just went way even above my my expectations um, in terms of how soul-touching uh, mm. the conversation was. So thank you so much. Thank you for all the light that you're bringing to the world and all the good work that you're doing. And um, it's just been such a joy. I, thank you, Cara, for having me. And let's thank the bees because it's oh, really yes. about them and yeah. about them pointing towards the sacred and spirit and yeah yes they're just 
it's such a, an opportunity for us to learn and to step into our hearts. Absolutely. That's really what this is about. Yeah. So thank you for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you. And thank you for picking up that topic. And, uh, and good luck with your journey with the bees. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes, I, I am off to go see them now. So, yeah. so thank you. Thank you so much. And enjoy that California sunshine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I wish you a lot of sunshine to come for you. Too. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Inner and outer sunshine. <laughs> yes, right. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Carl. Right. And thank you for listening and joining us today. Please share this episode if it's touched you or leave a review or a rating. Um, all of that helps in spreading the word and um, helps with those algorithms um, that the technology uses these days. Um, but it's such a joy to be with you as always. And I look forward to the next meditation conversation.